Thank you, Jesus. Right, like I said, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the rest of God. Uh, I just uh, thought it good to just touch on uh, finances a little bit just before I do that. Um, you know, last night I was watching television and um, I just think it good like every now and then just to put a little bit of finances into the teaching to help people all over the world because people are condemned. They are bombarded with the wrong gospel concerning money all the time and because money is the thing that we use every day, it's part of our life. You know, it's, we give eight hours a day, sometimes 15 hours a day just to get money, you know, in our work. And then uh, if we get the law into that area of our life, it's going to destroy us. We don't want condemnation, guilt, and all those kind of things in the area of finances. So I'm just quickly going to touch on this. Number one, the atmosphere um, of, of giving. You know, uh, the atmosphere of giving. Many times when we go to church, we live, uh, we experience an atmosphere of obligation. Uh, and it's not supposed to be so. Now, I know, you know, there will be many people differ from me, many leaders watching on the web that can differ from me on this. But I do believe that people, when they come to church, should not have a sense of guilt or a sense of obligation or the sense of, you know, um, I'm, I am responsible as a person for this thing. Uh, Paul said it this way in Corinthians. He says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought amongst you in all patience, in signs and wonders and in mighty deeds. Talking about himself, that he is a real apostle. For what... Um, for what is it wherein you were inferior to the other churches except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you forgive me this wrong so what he says here he says that he, call, he calls it their burdensome uh, when he talk about people giving him money so he says the only difference between the church in Corinth and the other churches is the other churches gave to him and uh, the church in Corinth did not give to him and then Paul explained his attitude when he came to a church. So there was a giving that came out of the abundance of people's hearts because they felt they wanted to give towards the spreading of this gospel. They wanted to help Paul, you know, and he even called that a burden on the people. That's what he called it. I mean, that's what's written there. Um, and, and, uh, uh, but there were people that were empowered by grace. It didn't feel like a burden to them. Like for me, when I, when I go away from home last night, I, we were watching a movie together and Bertus, my younger son, was just lying in my arms. And I was just holding him and holding him because I know, you know, tonight I'm leaving for five and a half weeks. And when I think of it, it looks like a burden, you know, to go away. But the moment I get on that plane, I know there's, an, there's a grace. There's an empowerment by God. Others can look at it, they can look at Helena, they can look at me and they can think, this should not be, it's too long, it's too difficult, because you think of yourself in that situation. But the moment you're in it, God empowers you. You don't feel the burden, but from the outside it looks like a burden. So Paul comes here, he says, the only difference between the church in Corinth and other churches was, they weren't burdened with his gospel. You know, they didn't give financially, but look at his attitude that he had towards them. Um, this was his attitude. He says, um, Behold, a third time I'm ready to come to you. So he says, Listen, I, I was there already two times. Uh, you didn't give anything because I think he was ac accused of abusing the church for money. That was what he was accused of. So this he wrote in his defense, saying, Listen, man, 
I, I sent Titus to you or I sent other people to you. They never asked you anything. I never asked you anything. So where does the story come from? You know how we conducted ourselves amongst you. We worked with our hands, you know. Be why? Because naturally the people didn't give out of the overflow of their heart. So Paul didn't force himself down on them. He just left it and just provided for himself by hard work. Now it wasn't nice for him. But look at his attitude. He never had an attitude of obligation. He never forced down fruit on the people. Because then it's not fruit anymore. Then it's born of willpower. Okay. Now some people say to me, Barty, why do you preach this in your church? You're going to preach yourself bankrupt. I'm not here to build a ministry or get an income. I'm here to, 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 to spread the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what we, we want to do. And the, the Spirit of God brings forth an, an, uh, um, a heart in people. It gives birth to generosity in people. Amen. Th that's it. But we can't put an obligation. He says, Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. I'm not seeking your stuff. I'm seeking you. That's what he's saying. He says, A third time I'll come to you. But don't worry, I will not be a burden to you. For I'm not seeking your stuff, I'm seeking you. I want you in the gospel. I want you for this message. That was his, his, his passion. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. It's amazing, you know, what, what he writes there. We, it's a very difficult thing to see in today's churches because there's always an atmosphere of obligation, not the atmosphere of a father that want to provide for the children, but an atmosphere of the children must just make sure the father's got everything. And what Paul is writing here, he talks about his heart, the atmosphere, what I call, from where giving should take place. Okay. Right, the second, uh, the reason for giving. A simple reason for giving, it's, the, it's, it's natural living for a Christian. It is the fruit that comes forth naturally by the Holy Spirit that indwells you. It's a revelation of who God is, and from that revelation, as you find patience coming into you, you find generosity coming into you, that generosity will be an emotion in your heart, you'll feel in your heart, I want to give, you know, in your mind, it will make sense to give. You know, and, uh, and, and what we do then, we are, uh, we are free will being. You know? Then we yield to the prompting of the new man in us, and we just do it. That's how it works. Okay? It is a fruit that we bear. Um, uh, that's, the, that's the first thing. The second thing is, it has got a result in people's lives. So when we give, um, that giving... Given it's taken, it, it, given it comes forth from a platform, an atmosphere where obligation is not laid upon the people, and people from their free will see, or, or from, from freedom in God, see the fruit of God rising in their heart, generosity is born, where they say in their hearts, because of the grace of God that empowers them, I want to be part of this, I want to see this word 
uh, uh, spreading all over the world or I want to help people in the congregation. You guys are really helping one another. I've seen that wonderful fruit of how one person will take another person into his house or give him money, help him in a business, help him. It's, it's wonderful to see those things, how this congregation really has love for each other and I call that the fruit of giving, the fruit of generosity born from the revelation of who you are in Jesus. Amen. Now Paul comes and he takes everything together in Philippians 4 and this is what he says. He says, I'm so glad that I received the gift of, of, that came from Epaphroditus that you guys sent me. Not that I was desiring the gift, but I was desiring the fruit on your account. What he was actually saying is, all the time when I was preaching in, in, my, in, in the depth of my heart, there was this thing where I wanted to see the effect of your relationship with God manifest in your life, setting you free from what the law brought into your life. Because the law brought a life of fear when it comes to money. The law brought a life of condemnation when it comes to finances. The, the, and, and we were bound in that. Always stressing, always thinking you're not, never going to have enough. Having a desire to give, but you can never do it. Having a desire to help, but you can never do it. Because that's exactly what the law does. Under the law, the good that you want to do, you can't do. And that which you don't want to do, that you do all the time. But then Paul, while he was preaching grace, he, he wanted to see this freedom happening in the people. In the same way as what he wanted them to see free from sins and uh, free from other areas of bondage. He wanted to see that freedom. So he would even have been happy if that money was given to somebody else. He just wanted to see the Christ living and manifesting in them through faith. And then what he says is, I thank God that I've received this. Um, it's really changed my life. You know, he says, not, not that I was hungry for this, for I've got a gift, the gift of contentment. Which means, when I'm rich, I'm happy. When I'm poor, I'm happy. But this money enables me to go places and preach the gospel. That's what he basically said. And that's the atmosphere of giving. That's the beginning and the end of giving. There's nothing more than that. It comes, uh, it, it, it even says something more in 2 Corinthians. He says, I believe that the grace of God increases what you give. So in other words, what he says is, I would want to see, talking about people that made a promise to give money to another church, you've made this promise and I want to see God's grace increase your giving. I don't want to see you giving out of obligation for God loves a cheerful giver. So when grace brings forth that gratitude and that revelation, that prompting in your heart, what do we do? We yield to the prompting of God in our hearts and we see the fruit of God living in us. And that is it, you know. And for me, if I, if I, if, if the only way I'm going to see more of a giving attitude in my life is if God's grace brings it forth in me. And the only way for grace to manifest in me, the Bible says, by faith, we have access into this grace, meaning by the persuasion of who I really am, that will empower my life unto doing it. Hallelujah. The only thing is we sit in a world where we are bombarded with a false sense of success. And the church, and, and yeah, it's so wonderful. If I think of uh, um, the ministry that God has given me and the peace financially that this gospel has brought to my ministry, you know, it, it, I can't describe it. Even the leaders watching on, on the internet, I want to encourage you. 
Don't be afraid to preach the truth about finances. Take this message that I've just preached it, make notes of it, call it your own, say God told me. I don't care. Just preach it to your people. You'll see them being set free and you will not have that stress anymore. Hallelujah. That is the truth. You know, that is God's truth. Amen. So, and we as people, and in my life, if there's, a, I mean, the law, the, the works righteousness, flesh, has brought so much death in us. I'm not yielding my body to something like that. You know, it is, it's, it's brought a separation in our minds between us and God. It's brought us great harm. Uh, um, a lot of us has lost a lot through works righteousness and trying to go by our own power. Why will we yield any area of our life to that old system? So when it comes to money, we are we opening our hearts, saying, God, thank you for your grace message. Amen. That is it. Okay, we, I want to read from Isaiah 66, the rest of God, God's rest. Um, like I said, uh, I said it before, so I'm going to say this for, for, the, for the video. If God um, must rest, I mean, why does God, why, do, why does God have to rest? God, rest, I mean, God cannot become tired. So why does He want to have rest? What is this rest? And then a, a very important verse in Hebrews, it says, we will enter into His rest. Okay, so unless we can define God's rest, how can we enter into rest? Now, I know we rest from uh, uh, works righteousness, we rest from all those kind of things, you know, we're not under the law anymore or whatever, but I found something much more unique in the Scriptures concerning this. As I, and this is not going to be a very long message, very short. Isaiah 66 verse 1. Thus says the Lord, The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you built unto me? And where is the place of my rest? So what God said is, He says, uh, I mean, even Solomon did the same thing. Let's read there um, in Acts. It says, um, But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwell not in temples made with hands. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne, quoting Isaiah 66, the earth is my footstool, what house will you build me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has not my own hand created the whole planet? So what he's saying is, listen, if you build a house, a temple for God, a physical temple for God, God is saying, man, that's nothing that was built. You know, this whole planet, everything on it, I stay in the heavens, the earth is my footstool, these things all belong to me. And now you're saying you're building me a temple where I can live. I don't live in a temple made with hands. I don't dwell there. Where is the place where I can rest? Now listen to what God did in creation. The Bible says for six days He worked. And on the sixth day He made man. Then He indwelled man. And the moment God could indwell a human being, He rested. You are God's place of rest. You are God's place of rest. God cannot find rest outside of indwelling you. That's His heaven. You are God's heaven. You are God's Eden. You are God's place of absolute rest. Isn't that awesome? 
who found, l listen to this verse again. Now we can, as we hear this, it starts to make, let's read Ephesians. Or I think there was another one. Isaiah 66, we read it on a bit and just explain the verse. God says, who will build me a temple? Who will do all these things? And then uh, at the end of the verse, he says there, for all those things that you have, for all those things has my hands made, and all those things have been, says the Lord. But this man, but this man will I look, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. So here he comes prophesying now about Jesus. He says, Who will ever build me a place where I can rest? But I, because everything on this planet I've made, talking about the the five days. You know, He created everything. Everything was made. He says, but what will give me rest is I will have my eyes on this one man. Who is this man? This man is um, the one that is, the, the, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. There was only one such man, you know, that this prophecy points to, and that was Jesus. He says there's no other man that could give God rest except the incarnation of God into human flesh, which was Jesus, which could get it right to tremble at God's word, meaning he could see the word for what it is and bring it forth. Yeah, he was poor, okay? Talking also about poor in spirit in the sense of he didn't, he was not high, highly lifted up in his own ability. You know, he believed upon God. He said, I look unto this man. You know, and then he goes on, it says a couple other things, and then in verse 6, it says, he's talking about this, this Jesus, and talking about the prophetic word. He says, a, a voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that renders recompense to his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to bring? Uh, shall the earth be made to bring forth in a day? Shall a nation be born at once? So what he's saying here, he said, talks about Jesus, prophesying about Jesus, saying, "Who will ever build me a place to stay? Who will ever give me a place where I can rest?" And that word "rest" there means to be comfortable. A place where I can be comfortable. Nobody can build such a place. But my eyes is upon a certain man. That man will bring it forth. And then he, he prophesies about this whole situation. He says, has anybody ever heard of such a thing that a nation can be born in a day? A whole nation be born in a day. Now what does that mean? Let's go to Ephesians 2. Wherefore remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called, uh, so called by the uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision, uh, called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, talking about the Gentiles, and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace, who has made both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, which is the law, having abolished in his flesh the enemy, 
even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in, him, in himself of two one new man, so making peace. So what is he saying here? He says, listen, I want to say this to you. Here was the Jew and the Gentile. The human race was in two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. But God came in Christ and he, he made of the two one new man. So the moment Jesus was born, one new man was seen. The human race was seen in one man. When Jesus died and the law was fulfilled and taken away, because what made a Jew and a Gentile? The law. There was a law that said, this is a Jew and this is a Gentile. But when that law is taken away, there's no more Jew and Gentile, just, just one kind of a people, and in a day, a nation was born. In one day, a nation was born. And God says, where will I ever find rest? Outside of indwelling a human being. Because the, when God made the heavens and he made the earth he couldn't rest because that was not good enough for him it was not a place where he could feel at ease he didn't feel like can indwell that because that is not in my likeness and in my image he made the animals he made the 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 the, the, the seas he made everything the stars heaven and earth even heaven he created the heaven and the earth but he couldn't rest he couldn't find rest for his soul but when he made you and he indwelled, he blew the spur of life into Adam. What was the next thing? He didn't have to create anything anymore. Satisfaction, the agape of God, the contentment of God, because he could indwell a human being. So God rests in the birth of a new nation, and he says, this is my place of dwelling, a human being. Now we come to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Fear lest you've entered the rest of God. Fear lest you enter. Be afraid because it's possible not to enter God's rest. So how do we enter into God's rest? What is God's rest? God's rest is to indwell a human being. How do we enter that? What we try to do is we try to build God a temple where God can live. Now, uh, even today some people build a big church and say God lives there. You know, that's just stupid. But, but what happens is, what we've done, we've, we've spiritualized the thing and we wanted to try and build God a temple by our works. God, I will pay my tithe and then you can come and live in my tithe temple. Okay. Oh God, I will give you a lot of obedience and heart prayer, then you can, can live, live in my heart prayer temple. Come and indwell this temple here, I'm building you a temple. Or we build God a temple of praise. A temple of worship. So we're going to worship God now. And we build Him a temple so that He can come and indwell this temple of praise. And this temple of worship. And this temple of obedience. No, no. Let's enter into His rest. How did He rest? He, when He saw Jesus, He rested from everything He created so that He could have rest. So that He could be comfortable. Let's use the word comfortable. For us to be comfortable, when we believe that and we, and we receive that truth, we find, this is what the Bible says, if you abide in, if, if you abide in my word, I will abide in you. 
Okay? We abide in this gospel of grace. We will find that He will indwell us. The Bible says, Him and the Father will come and make His dwelling inside us. So, by believing in what Jesus Christ has done, we find God indwelling us and living inside us. Once God lives in us, we see the fruit of God living in us. If a house is empty, nobody living there, you can go into the house, you can look at the house, you see everything is in its place. But the moment somebody lives there, you see an effect. You'll see somebody has cooked food, yeah. You'll see somebody just used the, uh, uh, used the car. You will see, you know, somebody's just slept in a bed. You know, you can see this life, this movement. So the moment we believe in this finished work of Jesus, we find the in God indwelling us and the effect of Him living in us because of Him. And that gives God rest. So how do we find rest? We enter into the fact that God is at rest, dwelling in us, and we rest from trying to build a temple for God to dwell in. Hallelujah. We enter into His rest. Glory to God. You know, you've rest from your, the moment you can believe this truth. The moment you can identify. Listen, when God saw Jesus, He was at peace. The angels even said, when, he saw Je when they saw Jesus, peace on earth, goodwill to all of man. In a day, a nation was born. When we enter into that reality, we enter into the rest of God. We don't try to rest by not worrying. We rest at the fact that God is comfortable in dwelling us. We, we rest the fact that I am, you become comfortable with the fact that He indwells you and He lives in you. Thank you, Lord. Right, I want to just read Hebrews there. Just some of the notes here. God rested by making us His temple. We rest by stopping to get God, but by stopping to try to get God to live in us. Having God living in us. True rest cannot be defined outside His indwelling. Now we enter the rest of God. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said. I have sworn in my wrath, and if they enter, I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the beginning of the foundation of the world. For he spoke in a certain place of the seventh day in this wise, and God did rest did rest the seventh day from all his works and it plea um, and in this place again if they shall enter into my rest seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein and they whom it was first preached enter not because of unbelief again he limited a certain day saying in David today after such a long time and it is said today if you will hear my voice harden not your heart so what he's saying here over and over, he says, the writer of Hebrews comes and he just repeats himself. He says, listen, there's so many instances in the gospel, where it talks, in, in the Bible, talks about a rest that we must enter in. How do we enter into this rest? By faith. By believing in the incarnation of God in human flesh as a representative of mankind, and we rest in the rest 
of God. Listen, there is only one rest. It's God's rest. There's only one Sabbath. It's the Sabbath of God. I'm not talking about the Saturday. My goodness. You know, how can you water down the rest of God to a stupid day? You know, resting on the sixth day thinking you're going to please God, I spit on that. I spit on it. it is, it's vulgar. It's filthy rags. God hates it. He detests it. Because He's come with a rest that is, that is so much greater. And now they want to substitute that for not going to pick and pay on a Saturday. It's sickening, man. It really is. And there's people that will condemn you to hell through their preaching if you don't, if you don't believe in their nonsense. I can't express myself stronger than this. I spit on that doctrine. I call it the ministry of death. You know, it's, it's sickening. The rest of God is when God was so satisfied with what He made by His work. He worked until He got a place and He wouldn't stop to work. He could have worked for 20 days or how long, ever. But He wouldn't have stopped until He found a place where His soul could rest. Where He could find that I'm comfortable with what I've made. And that was on the Sabbath. He rested because on the sixth day He made us. After the incarnation, there was no more work. So after Jesus was born, there's no more work. We don't try to build God a temple by our good works. We don't try to build God a temple by our money. We don't try to build God a temple by our worship or our doing. What's a temple? It's a place where God comes and lives and rules in. And we see the effect of His kingdom. We don't do that. We see the effect of His kingdom and we enter into the rest by faith. Believing that He was incarnated in human flesh. When He was incarnated in human flesh, God's eyes was on that man. That man brought the rest. And now God is bringing to us through preachers the gospel of God's rest. The gospel of reconciliation. So that we can enter into the rest of God. You cannot rest outside of believing the fullness of the Godhead indwells you. You cannot rest. When I get on that plane and I go to, to, to America, you know, I don't go there <laughs> to, uh, uh, to, to try and give God a platform to provide for me financially. My good, I'm not building a temple for God. No way. This is the place where He lives. Wherever this body goes is the manifestation of God's blessing. It's like a dry land and water. Wherever you go in the desert, if you can put water there, there will be flowers there. That's the way it is. In the same way, you can break good on. In the very, very same way with us, we, we enter into that finished work. God does not work anymore because God is satisfied with you. But Bertie, look at my body. Sometimes I do things wrong. God is satisfied for He knows in the return of Christ you'll have an immortal body. Amen. It's already given. It's already, it's in heaven, an immortal body. When He returns, those who are alive on the planet, will, their bodies will be glorified. Those who has died will receive their heavenly body. So God is fully satisfied. 
And you cannot rest outside of the revelation of God's full satisfaction to the point that God says, I can sit now. You know, imagine sitting, you know, next to a beautiful pool. You know, they just, you, you know, these pools with the edge that looks at the water, runs into eternity, with the, with the ocean down there, and the, you know, beautiful day, just resting, relaxing. That's how God feels. That's how comfortable He is with you. Let's enter into God's rest. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that we know that you have given birth to a new nation in one day. And we are that people where you are satisfied to, in, to, to live in. What you've done in Christ has satisfied you so much that you said, I cannot do anything anymore. I am at ease now. I'm pleased. What I've done is eternal. I indwell man. I indwell this physical place inside a human being. I feel comfortable. Man is my temple. Man is where I want to live. My God, what an awesome thing to think that we are your heaven. We were your end goal to indwell us, to come and feel comfortable inside us. Thank you, Lord, that you have come and you've even redeemed us from the mistake Adam made by saying, I will build a temple by my own power. I will even be a God on my own. How can the temple be the God? It's impossible. It's impossible. And you've come and you've redeemed us from that death. You've redeemed us from that destruction. And you have recreated mankind in Jesus in a day. And today we can stand here and we can say, we believe that we fully qualify to be your temple. And we enter into your rest by believing in what you've done in Jesus. We fully identify with what Jesus has done and we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the physical indwelling of God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. And thank you that you've honored us so much. You've, you've, you've created your own temple in Christ. But because it's human beings with their own will, you will not even move in without permission. You know, if you are here today and you've never, never invited Jesus into your heart, maybe you've tried some form of Christianity to live right to please God. You've tried to give God a platform from where He can work by your obedience or your good prayer or your going to church or whatever. But you have not received this rest. If you want to receive Jesus today, I want you to do it right there where you are. Now is the time to receive this truth. There's a promise of rest for you. We bring you the gospel of God's peace. That the law that brought the vision between people, that has categorized people, was taken away. There's only one nation, the one that God is so pleased with, that He will indwell them should they want it. And God is standing on bended knee before you today, saying, I want to indwell you. I want to indwell you as well. You come and enter into my rest. Enter into the peace of the Master by accepting Jesus into your life and His work right now. I want you to do it right there where you are. I tell you, as you do it, you will experience burdens fall from you because somebody has come and lived in your heart and He takes care of thoughts and He takes care of emotions and He takes care of so many things in your life because He lives there. 
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just declare everybody here as the temple of God. The place where you rest, where you feel comfortable, that gives us such a sense of value. It brings forth inside us such a, an awesome abundance of joy. That just sense that we're worth so much. Solomon built a temple, but you couldn't dwell there, my father. You wanted something that would give you rest. Those golden things doesn't give you rest. It's a stress, but we give you rest. Thank you, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.